Cohen is a professional liar. I'm not going to say alleged. You know, he's in a, he, that's that's he's acknowledged that um, that was part of his job you know, for Trump was to lie for him and to fabricate and falsify things for Trump. That was his profession. And so it is always problematic when the key witness in the case is him or herself highly impeachable, meaning the defense can get up and say, you lied here, you lied here, you lied here, and now you're telling the truth? Or is it the opposite? That's, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple point to make for a jury. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Aaron Rupar Show. We have a wonderful guest today, David Lurie, who is an attorney who practices in New York and writes about the intersection of politics and law. We go deep today on all things pertaining to the Trump investigations. We start by talking about the Manhattan DA case and the looming indictment there and the other investigations, too. We get to later in the podcast and David shares his insights about developments in recent days that he thinks are especially problematic for Trump, why he thinks the Republican defenses of Trump uh, reveal a rot at the core of the party and how this might play out as we get further into the 2024 campaign, one in which Trump has already indicated he will not drop out of even if he is under indictment. And so that could get really interesting as well. Uh, I talked with David in my newsletter, Public Notice. We did a Q&A on Monday that was all about the Manhattan case specifically. So if you listen to this and are interested in seeing his thoughts uh, fleshed out in writing, I recommend everybody check out Monday's edition of my newsletter. And then today's edition, a piece by Noah Berlatsky, I think is also very relevant and interesting. Noah gets into why the Stormy Daniels hush payment was actually a very big deal and how it was an effort to subvert democracy and basically stifle free speech at a time when Trump's political future hung in the balance and how those hush payments may have helped him win the presidency in 2016. I remind you that uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get audio podcasts, or if you're listening to it, check out the footage on YouTube. Uh, new episodes drop each week, and I'd really appreciate it if you enjoy what you're hearing, if you'd go to iTunes and leave a positive review as well. So without further ado, further ado, let's get to my conversation with David. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode now of the Aaron Rupar Show. And I'm very happy today to have David Lurie on with me. David is a New York-based attorney. Uh, he writes about the intersection of politics and law for a range of outlets, including, very thankfully, in recent months, Public Notice, the newsletter that I publish. Uh, and David actually was the expert that I talked to on Monday for a bit of a Q&A about the Trump investigation in Manhattan, um, the possibility that Trump will be indicted. Of course, Trump was proclaiming that he would be indicted yesterday, which did not happen. Uh, but just kind of, you know, everything pertaining to that investigation. And of course, there are multiple other investigations where there is a lot of news. So I figured this would be a very good week to have David on the podcast and pick his brain about all things Trump investigations these days. So I think a good place to begin is to just kind of update people who, um, if you haven't read the Q&A that I ran with David on Monday in public notice, I would very much recommend checking that out to kind of get the context here. But when we talked on Sunday, the big news at that time was this idea that Trump was going to be arrested as soon as yesterday, Tuesday. Um, that idea stemmed from Trump's own posts on Truth Social, where he proclaimed that this would happen. Um, there has never been any indication from the prosecutors in Manhattan that that would be the case. So it was basically taking Trump's word for it. Um, but obviously, a former president proclaiming that he's going to be arrested is is a big deal. So I don't blame people for 
kind of rushing to cover that. Um, but Trump had his own reasons for saying that. I think in part, you know, it's led to, I would presume, I haven't seen numbers on this yet, but a fundraising bonanza for him as news events of that sort do, because it, of course, allows him to portray himself as a victim and as being under attack by the deep state, by Biden in this case, um, you know, linking this prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, in Manhattan with Biden. And so, um, you know, he had his own reasons for proclaiming this. But as we sit here on Wednesday, um, you know, there are some more credible reports uh, swirling. You know, the sourcing is a little bit ambiguous, but that, you know, there could um, be more activity with the grand jury later today. The grand jury is meeting. And so there is this idea out there that an indictment could come as soon as this afternoon or, you know, there's been some talk of next week. So I think a good place to start, David, is just to sort of update listeners on the state of play as we speak here on Wednesday. Um, You were skeptical, and I think rightfully so, when we talked of the idea that Trump would be arrested on Tuesday. But what's kind of your sense as you read reports of what the grand jury is up to of what these next few days, the next week or so could look like? Well, as you said, we're reading tea leaves or more accurately, we're getting reports of off the record statements from Trump's, Trump's people. Because that's that's you know it's witnesses who are speaking on or off the record, like Mr. Cohen, and presumably people associated with Trump who are learning things or claiming to be learning things from witnesses who are affiliated with them. Um, that we're learning the grand jury is a confidential and a secret proceeding, but witnesses are allowed to speak mm-hmm. um, about uh, what they were asked or what they said. So again, unless the prosecutors are breaking the rules and leaking it is witnesses and trump affiliated people that we're hearing from but based on that information it does seem likely that they're the grand jury is close to voting an indictment of trump and it is appears likely that the charge uh, will be a charge of falsifying business records and there's a falsifying business records uh crime that exists under New York law that it's similar as I understand it to the one that exists under federal law and it applies it becomes a felony excuse me when the business records are being falsified for the purpose of concealing or furthering another crime yes Uh, and and maybe to back up back up just a step here in case people haven't been following every last development of this like you and I have been just to, mm-hmm. to lay out quickly the, the facts that are at play here. This investigation in Manhattan pertains to a payment that Michael Cohen, who was Trump's longtime lawyer slash fixer, made to an adult film actress named Stormy Daniels, who claims that she had an affair with Trump about, you know, I think it was 17 or 18 years ago when this affair allegedly occurred. Um, There's a good bit, you know, it's one of these interesting things in some of the writing that I've done or even seeing reporting where it's referred to as an alleged affair. And I understand why that's the case. It's not like there's proof that an affair occurred, but there are photographs of these two together at events. Um, There's a lot of corroboration for the idea that they had an affair, even though Trump is now denying it. But, you know, it's one of those weird things when you write about legal issues, you have to put alleged um when you talk about things like this, even though I think, um, you know, certainly the, you know, if it was like a grand jury indictment where you just need the probable cause, I think there's probable cause to believe that an affair actually did occur. But in any event, what happened here was Stormy Daniels was paid $130,000 by Michael Cohen in October of 2016. Um, and this payment was basically made to ensure that she did not 
go public at that time with her story of having an affair with Trump. And in today's edition of Public Notice, which I'll also plug here as right. we're talking about this, uh, I had Noah Berlatsky, who is a contributor to the newsletter, does a great job. Detail why this is really a big deal. Um, you know, if, if you kind of think back um, to October 2016, of course, that was the same month as the Access Hollywood tape. That was the same month as a string of women came forward on the record to accuse Trump of sexual misconduct. Now, would this, you know, news of this alleged affair have made a difference? Um, you know, when you think back, part of the reason that this looks so bad for Trump was that back in 2006, he had just married Melania and their son, Baron, had just been born, was a newborn basically at the time. And here he was allegedly carrying on not only an affair with uh, Stormy Daniels, but with another woman, Karen McDougal, who was also paid for her silence. And so, you know, there was a reason that they wanted to hush this up uh, because it looked bad for Trump. And they successfully did this until 2018, when the Wall Street Journal in January of that year broke broke news of the the hush payment that had been made. So anyway, so if you haven't been following along, um, there's been a lot of Trump investigations. There's, of course, the classified documents investigation. There's the Georgia investigation about his efforts there to overturn the election. And so uh, when news kind of started percolating, I think it was last week or maybe the week prior, that the Manhattan investigation was really ramping up. I think for a lot of people, including myself, I had to kind of go back and review some of the coverage from 2018 because so much has happened that um, it was a little hazy in my mind. But anyway, that that gets you up to speed. Yeah, if I may, just to underline the important points you made, uh, and I think Noah really makes this point very effectively in your newsletter today. This was a very big deal. Trump was at serious risk uh, in his in his view at this time. It's very clear. And Cohen, who was his fixer, that was his job, left into play right to protect him. First, in the McDougal case, he got the National Enquirer, which uh, may have, may have, for all we know, may have done this for him in the past. But we, you know, we know at least that we know the McDougal case. In that case, the National Power quote unquote bought her story about her affair with Trump in order to not have it published. And when they were unwilling to do that, Mr. Picard, the guy who ran National Power, wasn't willing to do that. In the case of Stormy Daniels, uh, Cohen himself arranged to buy her silence. And now, uh, many years later, uh, after uh, so many uh, revelations about Trump's um, conduct have come to light, it seems to us to be almost farcical, right? The idea that Trump having an affair with a um, uh, sex worker would have doomed his the candidacy. But it was more than plausible that that would have been the case in mm-hmm. Uh, October of 2015. And that is why, in my humble opinion, I'm not speaking as a lawyer, I'm speaking just as a citizen, this is not a minor potential crime, right? Because, uh, as Noah points out, the campaign finance laws, and that's the law, the underlying law that we believe Trump will be alleged to have violated, right? It's the campaign finance and campaign finance disclosure laws that are at issue here. The false records are records that allegedly were falsified in order to hide the nature of these payments, the payments to Stormy Daniels, but the payment by Stormy Daniels to Cohen 
from Cohen and then the payments from Trump to Cohen to reimburse him. This was done to hide material facts, you know, from the public, from the voters uh, at a critical time. And that's so, also, I, I think, just to to put a, a, a to underline that um, because we we did not talk about this yet. The reason this is so problematic legally from the campaign finance standpoint is that it was never reported as a campaign contribution, despite the fact that you know hushing up Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal were quite clearly aimed at benefiting Trump's campaign. I mean, that's that's one of the things Trump's lawyers. And Republicans who are defending Trump have been kind of throwing out there is that this was just a personal matter. You know, uh, Alan Dershowitz has been on Fox saying, you know, people lie about NDAs all the time and affairs. Well, sure. But people who lie about these things aren't usually running for high office while they're, you know, lying about it and paying people. And so that is the problem is that because it was sure. meant to to benefit Trump's presidential bid, it needed to be reported uh, as a campaign contribution, given the amount that was paid, one hundred and thirty thousand in Stormy Daniels' case, and I believe it was one hundred and fifty in Karen McDougal's case, and it was a month before the election in the case of uh, Stormy Daniels. So the, the the proposition that this was a mere coincidence, right? The the, the proximity to elect to an election, I think we can agree, is hard to buy. But so that's the by might the the real problem with the case against Trump. And let me be clear. We've known there is such a case to be made against Trump since Cohen pled guilty to analogous federal crimes. He pled guilty to violating the campaign finance laws, the federal campaign finance laws. Mm-hmm. He's referred to in the documents related to Cohen's plea. He's not named, but he's referred to. It's clear that he's a co-conspirator um, of a Cohen, was, was a co-conspirator of Cohen's in the view of the prosecutors, in the, the federal prosecutors who charged Cohen, the fixer. But the problem is that Cohen, and this is something that we've been hearing a lot about over the last couple of days, Cohen is a professional liar. I'm not going to say alleged. You know, he's in a, he, that's that's he's acknowledged that um, that was part of his job. You know, for Trump was to lie for him and to fabricate and falsify things for Trump. That was his profession. And so it is always problematic when the key witness in the case for a prosecution um, in a criminal case is him or herself highly impeachable, meaning the defense can get up and say, you lied here, you lied here, you lied here, and now you're telling the truth? Or is it the opposite? That's, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple point to make for a jury. Isn't some of that mitigated a little bit here by the fact that there are um, quite literally, not to overuse that word, but receipts um, where, you know, during Cohen's congressional testimony, I believe this was in early 2019, he presented, you know, a check with Trump's signature on it that was reimbursing him. Um, I, I don't believe that the check spelled out that it was for reimbursement for the Stormy Daniels payment, but that was what Cohen claimed it was a signed check. As, I mean, the, the point simply being there are records here that back up Cohen's account of what happened. So it's not really a he said, he said. There's documentation uh, that backs up Cohen's account. Is that is that consistent with your understanding as well, or do you think I'm misinterpreting that? I, I agree with you, and I also think that one thing the prosecution has in this potential case going for it that wasn't the case previously when the government may have been contemplating bringing a case against the federal government may have been contemplating bringing a case against Trump based on the same facts is that Cohen really isn't in jeopardy anymore. Theoretically, he could, he, uh, he, he's, he, he, there's no real chance that if he does not 
come forward as a witness uh, and testify at trial that he will be indicted. Are you with me? That's all, that's typically the case when you're dealing with a cooperating witness who was involved in the underlying crimes. They're cooperating and they're at risk of being indicted or they may have pled guilty in the past. And the, process, the defense can come over and say, look, you're doing this to get a lighter sentence, sir, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Right? Cohen is not uh, in that situation now. He was during the Mueller investigation, right? Uh, but right now, I think he can, the government can credibly say, this guy has no motive to uh, lie, uh, this guy being Cohen. And that's important. And as you said, Trump has basically admitted that he lied, right? He's admitted that these payments that he made to Cohen, right? And, we, and as you said, Cohen's presented the checks in public were not payments for legal expenses. They were reimbursements for yeah. the payments that Cohen made to and, the and, payment and, Cohen made. And the needle that Trump has to try and thread <laughs> is that he reimbursed Cohen um, for expenditures that he did not know the, what the purpose of them was, right? I mean, that, that's the, the argument that he and his lawyers are trying to make is that, yes, Trump reimbursed Cohen, but Cohen was basically freelancing here. You know, he made he, he hushed her up and it was all him and Trump didn't know about it. And I mean, obviously, that seems quite right. plausible, but um, I yeah. guess that's the best he can do. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to parse out what the defense is. Um, because Trump has these has you know the uh, kind of a TV lawyer who's been going uh, giving interviews. Um, he isn't actually Taco the Pina. lawyer. Yeah, Joe he's Taco not actually Pina. Trump's you know uh, defense counsel in any meaningful sense. But he's been going forward, and I don't believe he is. You know, Trump has actually a very good criminal defense lawyer who's who uh, in New York. But I don't mean to de- deride this guy. <laughs> but uh, I call it so. But but be that as it may, he has been. Uh, articulating a defense for Trump. And it appears to be, as you said, the following, that Cohen has, quote unquote, admitted that he made the payments to this payment to Stormy Daniels on his own. As you said, he was freelancing. Now, I'll get to where that comes from, but that's that's the first point. He did this entirely on his own, Cohen, right? And then Trump made the payments back to him for it's not clear for what right <laughs> they are admitting that it wasn't for legal services i think nice right, to, right? Yeah. Nice to um, get to yankees game or something i guess right but he made the payments for some reason but the their point there and that's the needle right he didn't conspire right to according to them you know with cohen cohen went and made the payments on his own without trump's involvement and then trump maybe gratuitously paid the money to him to to cohen now the claim that cohen acted on his own and he's admitted it aaron comes so far as i can tell from one source and that's from uh this guy costello right right who robert costello uh, yeah who's been making a kind of a sub career out of his role as cohen's non-lawyer for some period of time um, you know, as you as as you and your audience may recall, Cohen was basically you know put in a very immediate crisis state, right? When the you know there was a there was a warrant issued to search all of his documents and personal devices, and 
you know, the government was clearly trying to, for good reasons, scare him into becoming a government witness, right? And up to that point, he'd been a very loyal Trump, you know, advisor, fixer. And Costello, on his own account, approached Cohen and said, hey, I'm going to help you out here, right? And we know a lot about it because Costello has trumpeted his story, including to the New York Times and other outlets for years, right? And handed over documentation, including emails. So one thing that Costello did was he tried to get uh, Cohen a pardon mm -hmm. from Trump, right? And that was a lot of what he, uh, of his uh, legal, ser legal services, trying to get him a pardon. And when that didn't pan out, it appears that Cohen dropped him. Right. But there was also some discussion of, you know, what were the facts? Right. What were the facts uh, regarding this uh, payment? And Costello says that Cohen told him, oh, I did this on my own. Not Mr. Trump didn't tell me. Well, and, and here's one thing that you, you may remember, David. This actually came up as I was editing Noah's piece last night. I was trying to reflect back on this and. um you might recall this as well, that, you know, when all of this was swirling in 2018 in terms of news reporting about both the Daniels payment and the McDougal payment, right. there was a recording that surfaced of Trump and Cohen uh, yes, I it was before a Trump yeah. campaign event um, in 2016, where they were talking about the payment to Karen McDougal, I believe it was. And Trump clearly, you know, this recording reveals that Trump knew that right, she was being method, right. hushed up. And so then, you know, the idea, again, this is not, this doesn't um, necessarily prove anything pertaining to the Daniel situation, but the idea that Trump was in the loop about the McDougal payment, but then wasn't looped in at all about Daniels. I mean, it's just, it's another little bit of circumstantial evidence kind of undercutting the idea that, Definitely. you know, Trump, that the defense kind of hinges on that, that Trump wasn't conspiring here. And, and, and another thing, if I might add, you know, Costello, who claims to have been Cohen's lawyer, Cohen denies that, by the way, <laughs> says that he, he, he never engaged him to be his lawyer. He, uh, I think he, I think Cohen's view is he engaged him to be his fixer and try to get him a pardon. But be that as it may, Costello's claim that his former client admitted that Trump had no involvement. I will I will say, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be on the jury, so we'll see what, what the evidence <laughs> shows on this. But uh, based on the available evidence and Costello's put a lot of it out there and that tape regarding the other payoff, it seems much more likely that Cohen, who was then seeking a pardon from Trump and seeking Costello's aid in getting that pardon, was lying, right? I mean, he had a reason to lie at that point and say that Trump wasn't involved because he was trying to get Trump or Giuliani to help him get a, you know, to get to, to or Giuliani to solicit Trump to give him a pardon, right? right? So of course he has every reason at that point, every reason, and you let you look for motivations when you're trying to impeach a witness, find out they're lying. Every reason to lie at that point and say that yeah. Trump wasn't involved. Um, but the bottom line is that Cohen told the federal government that Trump was involved, right? And he had every reason not to lie at that point. As every as as artist may recall, the real leverage that the government had over Cohen was not these payments. It was other tax uh, related crimes that he committed, 
separate and apart from Trump that had to do with the taxi medallion business that he was involved in. And the government had him dead to rights on these on these very serious uh, crimes. Um, and also potentially it was reported some of his family members. And that was the leverage that they had over Cohen. So the uh, proposition that on this marginal crime, right, wasn't the central part of the case as far as Cohen was concerned, uh, that he would have lied, right, and said, and said Trump was involved when in fact he wasn't, just doesn't really compute as a matter, you know, just in terms of motivation, reading the witnesses' motivations. Sure. Um, so... But that, that's that's been a long discussion, but I think it's, but but important because it yeah. does get to the point that this case is a, as you said, significant. And while I said at the outset that we can expect Trump's lawyers to try to impeach Cohen and they'll have a lot to work with, I also agree with you that the prosecutors are going to be able to rehabilitate the witness, meaning they're going to be able to show all the reasons to believe him. Sure. Um, and that's why they're presumably considering bringing this case, right? They've got, as you said, the documentary evidence. Um, they have a witness who they believe is going to be uh, credible. Um, and that's what you need to bring a successful prosecution. Yeah. Yeah, so we just spent a lot of time talking about why the defense that Trump is trying to mount here um, seems problematic just based on what we know. And, you know, one point that you emphasized in our Q&A on Monday that I think also deserves emphasizing here is that we have not seen an indictment yet. And so we don't right. know all of the facts that are going to be presented. Exactly. And so we're kind of analyzing something that doesn't really exist, although, you know, of course, a lot of these facts are already out there. And so we can connect the dots based on what we already know, which is a lot, but there could be information that the grand jury has been presented um, because those proceedings, obviously, as you have mentioned earlier, are secret that we do not know. So some, you know, some patience here uh, is probably worthwhile and we should wait, you know, and, and process the indictment if and when that is presented. But we've talked about some of the reasons that this defense, you know, that Trump is trying to mount doesn't seem to carry a lot of water and is going to be problematic for him to make. But of course, this hasn't stopped Republicans from rushing to any microphone that might be in their vicinity to defend him. Um, when Trump posted last weekend that he would be arrested on Tuesday, I think Kevin McCarthy posted a tweet like 10 seconds later that basically was all in defending Trump, you know, that they wanted to investigate uh, Alvin Bragg and, you know, um, politicize this further by kind of getting Congress you know, directly involved. There's been a lot of demands from Republicans since then to have Bragg come and testify, you know, even though this investigation is active and there hasn't been an indictment yet. But one thing that you pointed out in a direct message, direct message exchange that we had yesterday that I thought was interesting is that um, one of the things that we've learned in recent days, even since you and I talked on Sunday, is that, you know, Republicans are all in on defending Trump. Um, it would have been, you know, I guess in, in some possible world, easy enough for them to do the responsible thing, which would have been yeah. basically to say, let's see the indictment. Let's wait for the facts to come out. You know, let's not rush to judgment. But that's not what they're doing. I mean, instead, they are trying to paint Alvin Bragg as a you know socialist radical. Um, they're trying to portray this whole investigation as just another witch hunt against Trump right. and use this to you know rile up the base and score political points. And so 
you know, it does seem, and we'll get to this, um, I want to ask you before we wrap up about some of the other investigations. Um, there's been big news, you know, in the last 24 hours with uh, both of them, really, but especially the DOJ one. You know, it does seem, um, and this is a very dangerous thing to say, but it does seem like Trump will be indicted at this point. I mean, the idea that none of these investigations would culminate in an indictment seems uh, implausible given just news developments as we track them day by day. But I'm wondering, um, you know, obviously your lawyer, you do have some expertise in politics as well, though. And so how do you see the politics of this playing out as we get further down the road of the Republican primary, the general election campaign? You know, obviously one of the big stories this week was Ron DeSantis's comments on Monday, where he tried to kind of have it both ways, you know, railing against Bragg as as he described him a socialist funded prosecutor, but also drawing attention to Trump's underlying conduct and how, you know, paying off porn stars is irresponsible, basically taking a little dig at Trump. And then, of course, Trump responded by basically breaking out the flamethrower and accusing DeSantis of being a groomer of underage girls when he was a school teacher, you know, back 20 years ago or so. Um, anyway, so that gave you a little taste, I think, of, of what this is going to look like as Trump's legal problems mount and he continues to run for the presidency. He has indicated he has no plans of dropping out um, despite his legal troubles. But um, anyway, so what did these recent days kind of teach you in terms of how the politics or inform you in terms of how the politics of this is going to play out? And how do you think this is going to look during the campaign? I agree with you about, uh, that on the issue of the charges against Trump, we're just we're engaging in speculation. I get it. <laughs> I'm guilty of it. Uh, I fun. try to uh, temper those comments, maybe to your frustration, <laughs> as you know, uh, a lot because, because there is no charge, right? And we haven't seen it. We can draw a conclusion, however, about what's happened to the Republican Party. And I think we've learned a tremendous amount just over the period of time since last, from last Saturday till today, Wednesday, about the Republican Party as it stands in um, uh, the beginning of 2023, as you suggested. I don't actually think it would be easy, as it turns out, for Republican leaders, and I put the term leaders in quotes, to walk away from Trump, not because they're under physical coercion, right? But because the party is a desiccated Hulk at this point. You know, it is a it is a, a, a entirely focused on the 30% of Republican voters who are um ironclad Trump voters, right? And that makes sense, right? If you you know no no party, including the Republican Party, which is a minority party, you know, it doesn't have the support of the majority of the of voters to begin with, if they lose 30% of their voters, right, they're dead in the water, you know, yeah. including in red districts, right? So, and as you suggested, the example of Ron DeSantis is both bizarre, you know, that is what he's what he's been trying to pull off for the last two days, and exemplary at the same time, right? So this is, you, you follow the news much more carefully than I do, so you can tell me where I get it, get it wrong, but this is what I understand happened. So Trump announced he was going to get indicted. Kevin McCarthy immediately came out, and this is in the weekend and the, during the Republican retreat, House retreat, right? Came out and said, I support Trump, right? Mm. DeSantis didn't, 
And both publicly and privately, the Trump people said, where's DeSantis? He's got to come out and uh, support Trump. And then DeSantis comes out and says, Soros prosecutor, Soros prosecutor, you know, this is outrageous. And what about those payments to the porn star? Right. And he thought, and obviously, and he, you know, thought, oh, was, I pulled this off. Right. I pulled this off. It was really interesting because uh, this happened on Monday and, and DeSantis has these news conference events um right. almost every day now and they're right. quite clearly gearing up you know they're like presidential type events where he's touting right. things he's doing in florida and then he takes some questions occasionally from reporters and generally um it's kind of surreal watching these events because the reporters tend to be very friendly um which right. i guess makes sense given you know the states of press freedom in florida these days but um you know so this reporter was kind of like a um boilerplate question was just you know basically asking him what do you make of Trump's post about being indicted and then i believe the question was also whether he would cooperate with extraditing Trump you know if Trump right. tried to hunker down in Florida and and you know not um cooperate with the legal process and so this comment that made a lot of news about you know i can't talk about paying off porn stars i don't know anything about that it was a parenthetical in like a 10 minute response where nine minutes and 30 seconds of it was him railing against Alvin Bragg and defending Trump. And then he kind of had this toss away line and, you know, that was highlighting Trump's conduct that for obvious reasons made all the news. But I think, you know, people saw the full response. It's kind of, you know, it's a little bit surprising that this turned into, wow, DeSantis is, you know, knifing Trump in the back here. That, that really isn't what he's trying to do. He's mostly defending him. Although he did it again in the uh, interview by Pier- with Pierce That's Morgan. right. Yes, he did. Yeah, I hear you, and you know, and, and you saw the whole thing, and I didn't. So, I, it, and that's interesting that it, that it wasn't that it, if that was not planned, you know, on, on DeSantis's part, it's all the more interesting how it played out because, of course, Trump just whacked DeSantis, you know, and just you know, DeSantis was it, it, DeSantis is reeling now, you know, and. It really, in my view, really shows the uh, fundamental contradiction of any GOP politician running against Trump in the Republican Party. You can't run against another politician and do everything you have to do to win, especially when they're the front runner and you're not, right? Um, Yep. With one hand tied behind your back, no one has ever won a campaign that way. But that's obviously the situation for every Republican challenger to Trump, and it's not because of Trump. That's it's because of the thirty percent of the voters who are wedded to Trump. So it's just not tenable. And you know, you see DeSantis. You know, he's now. Tried it again with, you know, with Piers Morgan. So that time he did it deliberately, but obviously it's just not a tenable thing. You can't, uh, and, and Trump knows it. You can't attack Trump and defend him at the same time. And sure. so, I wrote a piece. Now it's two years ago about DeSantis, Trump, and Nancy Mace, the Republican um, and, and uh, 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 House member. And about how they had what was developing was Trump was clearly pandering to his base as the as you know, this was as you know, it was kind of clear that his chances of reelection were not that were, you know, were 
limited. And at the same time of, 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 you know, of, of recapturing his power, but at the same time, and, and this, this was obvious like with the vaccine thing, right? When Trump realized that, that, that actually the fact that he had quote unquote invented the vaccine was working against him, he started to walk away from the vaccine. You know, and it was just really interesting to watch that that yeah. moment when that happened. But at the same time, the politicians, the politicians who periodically threatened, right, to walk away from Trump after January 6th, like Nancy Mace being one of them, mm-hmm. they do it and then they push back, right? And she and and if, if you may recall, Nancy Mace just recently did the same thing with um McCarthy, right? You know, where right. she uh, said, well, maybe I'm not going to vote to take Ilan Omar off the um, you know, Foreign Relations Committee. But then she did. You know, the point is that they're in a they're in a party. The party has been taken over by this faction, you know, extremist faction that Trump represents and exemplifies. And there's no way to get away from that faction. And there's no way to do what, uh, at least no way that has been figured out yet to do what DeSantis is trying to do, which is take the faction away from Trump while he's still there. Yeah, you know, and, and that's and what's I, really yeah. interesting. And and I do wonder if there is an indictment and more facts become you know public information. We're talking about an actual indictment that you know has detailed allegations. It seems like it could get kind of awkward for some of these Republicans. You know, if there's really, um, you know, some egregious conduct. I mean, we already know that there's been egregious conduct, but if more comes to light, um, if there are multiple indictments, um, it's going to become more awkward, I think, to publicly defend Trump or at least, you know, run an interference for him in the sense that you're trying to discredit the prosecutors, the legal process um, that could put, you know, people like Kevin McCarthy in kind of a difficult position. But I think ultimately you're right that the core problem is that. <laughs> You know, the 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 Trump base is the the largest faction or at least the most engaged faction of the Republican Party at this point. So you really can't win primary elections alienating these people. And so, you know, you end up in kind of these knots, you know, or, what DeSantis is trying to do, kind of have it both ways. Um, you know, one thing that I think with DeSantis, I mean, he, he is clearly very calculated. And so I don't doubt that even that comment that we were talking about earlier during his news conference was intentional. I, I, I don't think he was necessarily ad-libbing that. And of course, as you've mentioned, he's since used that line again, uh, which further indicates that it was intentional. Um, but we are very early in the primary process at this point. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of a calculation on his part that it's too early to go full negative on Trump at this point, And maybe he's keeping some powder dry. We'll see. I mean, there was morning consult polling out today that shows Trump up over 50% now you know, in a crowded field. I mean, they, you know, they had Tim Scott in there, they had Pompeo in there in this polling and, you know, Trump's at like 54% and DeSantis is below 30. And so once you get above 50%, you know, you can kind of do the math where um, it's pretty tough to defeat a front front runner in a crowded field when they're over 50%. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know if that yeah. calculation that DeSantis is making, if that is one that he's making of not wanting to go full negative at this point, I don't know if that's smart. Uh, maybe he'd be better off going full negative at this point. It seems to me like his campaign strategy at this point, of course, he's not declared, but um, is to really try to build his brand in terms of what he's doing in Florida and all these victories that he's had, how popular he is. He won by 20% last year after barely winning in 2018. Um, So it seems like that's kind of the stage of things that he's at. Maybe that will lead further down the line toward going negative on Trump. 
So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, I'm a full-time lawyer and a part-time pundit. So my 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 value as a pundit, I will acknowledge, is limited. I've been writing about DeSantis for several years, and um, I've been thoroughly unimpressed by him as a politician. You know, and I think his victory, which is similar in scale to Marco Rubio, who's also a tremendously unimpressive politician, the, 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 the victory in Florida is a, and I say this all due respect to my friends, Democratic friends in Florida, the product of the you know decline of the Democratic Party, which I think is hopefully temporary in Florida, more than it is a product of any brilliance on the part of Trump or Marco Rubio um, sure. and changes in demographics in the state. Um, but, uh, but, but, but the thing is, you know, we'll see how that how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, with the couple minutes we have left here, I want to kind of broaden this out a little bit, because actually just before we hopped on this call, um, I was reading a CNN story. I'm just going to read one sentence from it about uh, the Justice Department has convinced a federal judge that Trump used one of his defense attorneys in furtherance of a crime or fraud related to the existence of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Um, so this was. News that broke in a court filing that I think was unsealed just yesterday. Um, but there's activity pertaining to that, uh, revealing some urgency, you know, in some of these filings that it seems like things are really happening, you know, with the yeah. the oh, DOJ right. investigation into the the mishandling of classified documents. Then, you know, one other da- uh, data point here is that Trump's one of his Georgia lawyers was on MSNBC yesterday, really struggling to answer kind of basic questions about the case there. Uh, Ari Melber grilled this attorney about whether Trump actually lost in Georgia, which is obviously, you know, material to the broader effort to overturn the result there. And he couldn't, you know, it, it was just a very, if you're a Trump fan, you watch this interview, it was very troubling in terms of it doesn't seem like they really have much of a case. Um, and of course, Trump was recorded in a phone call uh, badgering the Secretary of State there to find votes for him. So there's, you know, uh, if there is such a thing as smoking gun evidence, that would probably rise to that level. But anyway, so the question I wanted, you know, you can take this any which way you want to take it. But of these three different investigations, the Manhattan one, the Georgia one, the federal one, do you do you view any one of them as being especially dangerous to Trump? Yes. Or is it more a situation where the combination of them is the real big problem for Trump? Okay. Well, that's yeah, I mean, uh, 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 yeah, that's obviously a bit of speculation on speculation, but I'll tell you that. What 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 um um is the scariest from a defense lawyer perspective? It's the DOJ mm-hmm. investigation investigations because of the uh, uh, a who the prosecutor is, you know, um, uh, and the team that he has behind him, and the fact that he represents the U.S. government. Okay, so the development that you just referred to, which I, I, I actually understand it involves two lawyers, uh, Corcoran and a lawyer in Georgia, not the one who was on TV yesterday, is very serious. Most of this is not public because it involves grand jury uh, proceedings, which are secret. But what we do know from leaks from the Trump side is that uh, it, well, presumably from the Trump side, is that the former chief judge in the District of Columbia federal court, um, her last act as chief judge was to issue a decision that will allow the prosecutors to question these lawyers and obtain presumably documents that relate to their communications as lawyers with Trump. And the reason that's significant is that 
it's reportedly premised on what's called the crime fraud exception. And the crime fraud exception allows um, for the disclosure of otherwise privileged, you know, confidential communications between a lawyer and a client, including when the lawyer is a knowing or unknowing tool for mis misconduct, criminal misconduct. There's already been a finding of the uh, crime fraud finding in it uh, uh, by a judge in California related to um, the, I'm trying to remember his name, but the Eastman, right? Mm, Eastman's yeah. uh, activities. But these, this latest finding is reportedly directly concerning communications between Trump and these two lawyers. Okay, so it looks to be that the judge made a finding that Trump engaged in criminal conduct. Now, this is not a finding that Trump may committed, that there's evidence that would allow Trump to be indicted, let alone be convicted of a crime by a jury. But it is a finding that there is evidence, sufficient evidence that Trump committed a crime, it looks to be, right? That the privilege can be um, overcome. That's a really big deal, okay? So it's not just a big deal because the because presumably there's some bad evidence, right? That's gonna come out potentially, but also because a judge is making a finding that Trump may have committed a crime. Um, and the crime, now again, speculation on speculation, appears to be obstruction of justice. So uh, lying about the uh, to the FBI or the Justice Department about these doc classified documents that Trump took with him from the White House. That's a big deal. Okay. And that, um, you know, we've been reading a lot of tea leaves about the Cohen matter, right? But um, <clears throat> if the government is able to prove that Trump lied. And it, I'm going to get more specific. One of the things that is allegedly at issue is this affirmation that another Trump lawyer gave to the FBI that Trump had fully complied with his obligations to turn over to the National Archives the confidential documents that he'd taken with him. Mm -hmm. It was The allegation is that the parents would be that that was a knowingly false affirmation mm -hmm. and that Trump may have had something to do with it. Okay, so yeah. that's that, that that's piecing this all together. That's what appears to be going on here, and there's really good reason to believe that's what's going on. That's really bad news for Trump because um, that looks like an indictment that is coming down the pike in federal, you know, D.C. federal court against him. Mm, yeah, well. We'll have to have you back on sometime soon to get further in depth on that case and maybe the Georgia one as well. Um, sure. It's a lot to keep track of these days, but um, it's unprecedented times. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, helping us understand what's going on, because um, I feel like uh, all of us living through this Trump era, um, you know, we've learned a lot about legal proceedings. We've had to just to follow the news, but uh, it's still very complex. And you're you know very good at explaining it to lay people such as myself who did not go to law school. So I very much appreciate that. I am sorry, and it's been my regret that, he, that citizens of the United States have had, no, have had to learn so much about criminal law over the last five years. <laughs> because of our president. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it'd be that's one thing if it was uh, 
you know, some sort of true crime drama, but uh, exactly. it, was, it was true crime White House, I guess. So um, anyway, pleasure. David, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. We'll have you on yeah. again down the line. Bye-bye. That does it for today's episode of the Aaron Rupar Show. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and also follow me on YouTube to watch the footage of the show each week. You can find me there at the Aaron Rupar Show. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to check out your feeds each week for a new installment of the show. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.